The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Good morning, Refuge Church. Good morning. When I used that voice, I thought of a story Hannah told me yesterday. She was taking pictures at a wedding, and... um, my, my fiance, who's a photographer, and uh, they, they asked nine different ministers to officiate, and they, none of them could. They weren't plugged into a local church, and so they just they couldn't find one to. And so they, they found a friend's friend who could officiate the ceremony, and, and he came, he arrived in, in full Scottish regalia, kilt and all. And she said the whole time, he spoke like this. <laughs> And it was like, just very, like, <laughs> this, like, this presence about him. Not necessarily the presence you'd want at your wedding, but it was, uh, it got done, it happened. A couple got married, so we don't know how legit it is. <laughs> it happened, though. They, they have pictures. So that story I just shared, I had no intention to, just thought you guys needed a little pick-me-up, you know? So, man, so good to be with you guys. A um, couple things before I pray and we preach uh, next week, which will be the 18th of August. We are here, 18th of August next week. We will be praying for Bob Schaefer and introducing him officially to the church as an elder. Very exciting. Um, second announcement is, I know Hannah announced last week that we would love for everyone to come to our wedding. If you don't have an invite, uh, this is a very formal invite. I've been, um, Ben Shepard, I texted him this week, I was like, Ben, did I ever invite you to my wedding? That's kind of where I'm at right now. And, and you might be wondering why I would do a, a public invite like this. And uh, the reason is, I wanted to give you some reasons, because it could seem a little strange. Um, the first reason is like this is really meaningful to us. You guys are very important to us, and we want to start our marriage um, with all of you guys in our corner. And we also feel tremendously supported. The the day itself, all the people coming, eating, having a great time couldn't happen without you all. So thank you. And if you need to know how to RSVP, just talk to Malia. She'll let you know. So, um, sweet. Uh, One more thing, and that is, this is the last week of our Armor of God series, Fighter. So, the next three weeks, we will be doing a a short three-week series on, on the pillars of community groups. As we launch community groups in September, I'll be preaching next week on the first of the three pillars, and then, uh, and then the next two weeks after that, Ibrahim and Pat will be preaching on those. So also, if you are interested in what the rollout of community groups will look like this year, I'm going to do a deep dive into that next week. So come and bring your friends. Or you won't know. And I don't want that for you, Okay. You guys with me? This is just like <laughs> okay. Pray with me, and then we will dive into Ephesians. Oh, Father, this morning we 
we need you. We needed you when we went to sleep and while we slept. I think of preaching through the Psalms of Ascent, and I think it was Psalm 126, where it says, you give to your beloved even in their sleep. God, we need your constant gifts of grace, the love that we don't deserve, but we live by. When we understand who we are and who you are, and and it's the need of you not just to, to welcome us, but to draw us into a relationship with yourself. To Not just draw us into a relationship with yourself, but to sustain us in that relationship. So Father, I pray this morning that you'll give us just another gift of grace in your presence, your truth, and we will live by it. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. We're going to go all the way to 20. So if you are a little confused why we have another sermon after the last tool of the armor of God, you'll understand as we get to the end. And this is sort of the, the battle plan, what makes us fearless warriors with the armor of God. So Ephesians six ten. finally... Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And this is, this is then how we use all those tools, all those weapons of warfare we've been given, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, and with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Pray also for me, it's Paul speaking, pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I may fearlessly make known the mysteries of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains." Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Man, this gives quite the context for everything he's written to us. His personal context is as someone in chains writing to someone who may wish to join him in that spiritual battle. If you weren't here from the beginning, I just want to start again by by building out the context. I haven't done this every week, but I think at the end it's good to just kind of give an overall summary. The context of the book of Ephesians, or the city of Ephesus, is this. In Acts 19, we read about the city of Ephesus, and if if you're not like into history, just bear with me. It's a very interesting story, and then we'll get back in to this. So Ephesus was a, a fascinating place. There was a huge temple in Ephesus, and all the commerce of the city revolved around this temple. The temple was so big it could fit 20,000 people. 
20,000 people, that's huge. Think of like Rainier's Stadium for, uh, it's come Rainier's, that can fit 7,000 people, okay? So 20,000 people, this is a lot of people. And, and in this story, uh, you have, uh, in Acts 19, you have a couple people who are traveling with Paul. And, uh, and the city gets outraged because the economy is getting impacted by the preaching of the gospel. The economy gets impacted by the preaching of the gospel. How that happens is that the sales of the idols are decreasing. And so you have a silversmith named Demetrius who is basically losing his business because some people are coming to follow Jesus. And so they aren't buying his idols. And so he gets outraged. And he, he starts this mob. And they, they bring some, some companions of Paul into this temple. And says they just pack the place out. And they're screaming at him. So I just want you to imagine 20,000 people screaming at these companions of Paul, right? Talk about fearing for your life. This is the context of the city of Ephesus. And so when Paul is writing those in Ephesus, he is reminding them, reminding them that in this context of 20,000 people screaming, he's reminding them that, remember the start of Ephesians 6.10, that their battle is not against flesh and blood. Their battle is not against those 20,000 screaming people at them. And if that is not an amazing thing to say, especially for us who like make our battle against flesh and blood when it's just in the news or, or whatever it is, right? We make our battle so quickly, quickly against flesh and blood, but he goes, man, it's so, it feels so physical. It feels so close, but that is not what your battle is. And so he builds out what the heavenly realm is. It's important for us, even now, to build out what the heavenly realm is, because <laughs> we, we don't even have this sense of spiritual that, that maybe uh, those in Ephesus did. And so, talking about what the heavenly realm is, uh, we're just going to start by saying this simple worldview-shaping statement, which is, everything you see is not everything that there is. When we were talking... Right, eight weeks ago about what the heavenly realm is, I simply define it as this. It is the immaterial that dwells over and within the material, both animating and influencing all that we sense and experience. What is this heavenly, the spiritual realm? It is the immaterial that dwells over and within the material, both animating and influencing all that we sense and experience. And he goes, and that's where the battle is. It's what's going on within those 20,000 people. It's what's going on within the city that you can't see, but you can feel, right? And so he goes, that is where the battle is. So I'm going to equip you with weapons for that battle. And so he lays it out, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which we've talked about. But here's the reality, right? You can be given these weapons or these tools and not use them. And so today, what we're going to talk about is the making of a fearless fighter. What will make us people that actually use or know how to use these weapons? Because weapons don't matter in the hands of a retreating soldier, right? If you've turned tail and you're running... The best thing to do is get rid of your armor, 
right? Because it's just, it's just holding you back. And I think, and so this might be really helpful as we've gone through each piece of armor, but some of us who say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and we get inspired hearing about these different tools we've been given, but we, we find ourselves maybe far along in the faith, in, in like the age of our faith. We've been Christians for, you know, 5, 10, 15 plus years, and, and we're like, I don't even feel like I'm holding a sword anymore. I don't even feel like, I, like I'm covered with the breastplate of righteousness anymore. I'm like, I feel like that's far behind me, and I'm literally pointing in the other direction. I'm just running. What will make us fearless fighters? And I'm using this word fearless fighter not just because it's like a, a cool word, like fearless. It's because this is actually what Paul's praying for. Look, he says, the words may be given to me so I may fearlessly make known the gospel. This is why I'm an ambassador in change. Pray that I may declare fearlessly as I should. Because Paul goes, the, the, <laughs> the tendency to turn and run isn't just in you. Paul's going, it's in me too. And so how do we be people who actually turn and fight? And we, and we aren't just turning and running. And, and the answer is simply this. It's simply prayer. Prayer is how we not only receive our marching orders... Prayer is how we receive our encouragement. And it's really how we receive our how to use these pieces of armor. You guys ready? One more installment. They're going to be great. We're going to be great at this. Okay? Okay, so I have, I have three things for you. The first, and like I've, I've taken each of the pieces of armor, the first I just want to look at is what is prayer? What is this thing we call prayer? Uh, and, and I think prayer is something we sort of do helplessly sometimes, and we're like, man, I wish I always did it like that. Sometimes it's hard to be intentional in prayer. Right? So what is prayer? What is praying in the Spirit? And then how do we pray in the Spirit? So I just want to take it from um, uh, starting, I think it's verse 18, where, yep, here. So, And I'll just read it through the end, and then we'll get into these three questions. So, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer, prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the Lord's people. And and just notice how how many times it says all. It's just very, very encompassing. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer requests. With, With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying in I'm praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, I may be given so that uh, I may fearlessly make known the mysteries of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So, number one, what is prayer? Prayer is, sometimes it's very simple to define things even though it's so hard to do, right? Prayer is very simply communicating with God. It is the way we communicate with God. And to, to, to uh, extrapolate a little bit on that definition, very purposefully we're saying communicate and not speak, uh, and very purposefully we're saying with not to. Prayer is the way we communicate with God. We say communicate instead of speak because there are so many ways to communicate beyond speaking. I'm just learning a lot of this in a new way about to get married, right? That there are so many ways to communicate and receive communication apart from speaking, right? The way you think 
and the way you feel tremendously impacts and is just red, right? You can be like thinking something and the person's like, what are you thinking about? And it's just like the moment you don't want to share what you're thinking. It's the moment, the exact moment, something happens. I don't know. I don't know. And you're like, nothing. (laughs) It's really important to say communicate because even the way we communicate to God and God is all knowing. Like it isn't a mystery how God knows. God knows. God knows you better than you know yourself. And so the way we communicate and even helplessly cry out to God happens beyond speaking, right? And, and I say with instead of to is because prayer isn't just something that we do to God. It's not just a way we communicate all our needs and things to him, but it's, it's, a, it's a mutual, that prayer is mutual and that we speak what's in our heart. And I'm going to talk about that a little more when we talk about what's prayer in the spirit because it's even more than us that's communicating that. But it's God also responding in communication to us. Now the question is, why do we need a special way of communicating to God? Why don't we pray to one another? Good question, right? Why, why do we need a special way of communicating to God? And I think this blows up in a great topic, which is, you are not God, God is not you. Right, this is very important, because oftentimes we're like, why doesn't God just you know, communicate like, a, you know, God isn't human. God isn't human, and so we do need a special way to communicate with God. Because, and Jesus teaches us this. When, when the disciples observing the life of Jesus and see him going away to pray, they, they, they look at him and they're like, man, something happens in that. You come back confident. You come back knowing what to do. We also want to learn how to do that. And so the way he starts, if we can pull up the, the Matthew 6 passage, this is how he teaches us to pray. Literally, he, they, we need to be taught how to communicate with God. This doesn't come naturally. He says this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The beginning of the prayer is acknowledging the difference of God in us. God, hallowed be your name. God, your name is different than any of our names, because you are different than any of us. Holy simply means very separate, very different, holy other. Entirely other. And so we start our prayers by acknowledging that, God, receive this because I don't even deserve to come to you because you are so pure and so righteous and so other. So God, holy is your name. I want to start by acknowledging that. That's the way prayer starts. Isn't going, you know, all casual, like, God, what up, you know, hey, buddy. God isn't just your buddy, right? God is incredibly magnificent, fearfully awesome. And so the prayer goes on. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as in heaven. What, what the prayer is acknowledging is that the, the desire of God, the will of God, and the culture of his kingdom is different than human kingdoms and human cultures. And so when we pray, we also need to acknowledge that, God, you need to introduce some things here that we don't even have. We don't even have capacity to think of because they're only from you. Give us today our daily bread. 
What we're asking for there is, God, there's provisions that only you can give. That the work of our hands can't achieve those provisions. We need you to provide those things. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not in temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. This is the way we pray. We start our prayers by acknowledging we need prayer. We need a special way to communicate with God because God is not human. God is spirit. And those that worship him will worship in spirit and truth. Those that pray to him will pray by the Spirit. And so if we go back to Ephesians 6, it says, so pray in the Spirit on all occasions. So what does it look like to do this special form of communication with God in the Spirit? So, acknowledging that we are not God and God is not us, how is this communication possible? It is possible in acknowledging that though we are not God, we have been created to be filled by God. We have been made soulish beings. And when God created humanity and breathed his life into it, he made us to be sustained by the word of his mouth. And you have this, this amazing verse repeated in both the Old and New Testament, that man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Literally, we live by him. In Acts, in preaching, Paul says, in him we live and move and have our being. We're sustained by him. So again, this just reveals us as not only physical, but also spiritual. Now, being physical and spiritual, and needing to pray in the spirit, doesn't mean that your, your physical body is bad. And this, this isn't something in our day and age we wrestle with maybe as much as they did in the past, right? In the, in the past, uh, there were a lot of philosophies, even religions, that really tried to um, make evil the physical. Now, now the Bible doesn't say we're, we're, phys- we're physically evil. It says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And the physical is good, but the physical and the spiritual cry out for different things to be satisfied. And so, unfortunately, we often lean into those physical, those physical cries, right? Your stomach isn't going to lead you to God. Your stomach is going to lead you to food, right? Your stomach's going to cry out, feed me, right? And some of you might be feeling that right now, okay? <laughs> but we don't live by that alone. And so if we just follow our physical inclinations, it's not going to lead us to God. But there is also a part of us, the spiritual side, that cries out for spiritual nourishment, that cries out and can only be filled by God himself. That makes sense? And so in the same way that we are fed physically, God's made us to be fed spiritually. In Romans 5, it contrasts the two. And... And I will read it for you. Romans 5, starting in verse 5. It says this. To be sure... Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, no. 8, verse 5. It says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the flesh, desires. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the Spirit's desires. And so it goes on. 
And he says, if you are simply thinking of the flesh, you will, you will always only be led to that. You will always only be led to what will gratify that. And so often we see in our culture, that's the, the pursuits that we make. Right? Whether it's, man, I just need to, you know, those who don't have material means and they really just are grasping for maybe their, their next meal because that's what they desire more. Or someone who has great material means and all they can desire is more of those things, like more money, more power, whatever. That, and we crave those things. But he says, if that is it, that will lead to death. But if we crave what is of the Spirit, the Spirit of God, it will lead to life. And so prayer in the Spirit is literally being filled by the Spirit and then God himself in us, praying for us, Things that we maybe don't even understand or comprehend we need yet. So in, in Romans 8, later on, uh, starting in verse 26, this is what it says. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Isn't this beautiful? It's coming. The Spirit of God helps us in our weakness. And, and, he, and he helps us in our weakness because... For us, many of us only know what to pray for what's in front of us. Have you ever noticed when you're, you're sitting in a, a group or maybe another person, you're like, hey, what can we pray for? And, and we just don't often know what to pray for. I mean, sometimes we're like, I just don't feel like I need anything to pray for. And, and a lot of times it's, it's just because we don't know what to pray for. We don't know what we need. And so praying in the Spirit saying that we need this help. Because we are weak, and, and many of us, all of us, have just lived our whole lives leaning into the flesh. So how do we lean into the Spirit? Well, we need the help, Spirit's help in that. And we do not know what we ought to pray, so the Spirit himself prays for us. And when the Spirit prays for us, the Spirit will pray things that I don't think we even understand yet or comprehend yet. Things that are amazing, that we don't even know how to want. And we see this throughout the Bible. I, was, I just had this really fun time as I was preparing for this sermon, thinking of all the things that people ask for in the Bible that they couldn't come up with. I mean, think of like Moses parting the Red Sea. He, he was, he, Moses was not an exceptionally creative individual. Right? He was actually fairly, you know, not clever at times. And, and, and so you see Moses and you see him approach the Red Sea. And when he parts those waters, it's because the Spirit inspired him to do that. Right? When you see Peter, who's like, hey, we don't have any money, get up and walk. That's not because Peter's exceptionally creative. He was known as somewhat a, a dim-witted fisherman, right? But here he comes in power going, hey, we don't have cash. Get up. That's because he's speaking what the Spirit's giving him. I mean, think of all the exceptional stories in the Bible. All the exceptional stories in the Bible weren't because God saved super creative people who are like, these are awesome ways that you can be glorified, God. No, it's, it's people who do not know how to glorify God, and God himself is filling them and, and using them. To honor himself in the world, and nothing could be more delightful to them than to be used by God. They become, they become simply mighty warriors in the army of God because the this, this spirit is leading them and they are facing the battle instead of running away from it. 
Does this make sense? I think oftentimes we see people in the Bible, men and women in the Bible, and we're like, they are exceptional. In in James, the very end of James, it says, you know Elijah? He goes, he was just like you. But he prayed. And heavens withheld rain. And he prayed again, and they gave rain. He goes, he was not exceptional. He was not exceptional. He was a human being just like you. But he prayed in the spirit. And the spirit was like, hey, pray there won't be rain. And he, and he prayed, and that is what happened. Are there things that you've prayed for in your life that, that you're like, oh, man, I don't even know why I'm praying for this. This is crazy. And then God chooses to do that because you're praying in the Spirit. So how, how do we pray in the Spirit? How do we pray in our weakness? Jesus, being fully God and fully human, gives us great instruction in this. The first thing we learned from Jesus is that Jesus prioritized his time with God. And I know this seems so simple. You're like, okay, have a daily quiet time, get it. No, and, and this is important for me to share with you because I struggle with this. And so I don't, I don't know your life, your story, what you do. I can, I can fail to, like Jesus, prioritize time with the Father to hear my marching orders from him, to be encouraged, to be revived by him and inspired by him to then go out. Oftentimes I just stay in the battle and I just assume I will get all I need in the heat of the battle. And and Jesus showed that's not the way it works, right? He goes, I'm going to get away and I'm going to get time with my father. And seeing that, the people around him, they were both drawn to it and they asked, man, how, how does this work? second thing Jesus did is what the father told him to do when it was in opposition to his own will he did it anyway I think many of us we we sift through what the father said we sift through what the father said we're like "Mm, I feel like I can do that I feel like I have the you know and, and what we we often tend to do is we start living by the flesh because we even with what the father's communicating you know and have you ever done this to somebody? If, if you give someone responsibility and they just pick some of it, are you going to keep giving them responsibility? No. But that's oftentimes, and we keep going back to the Father, and the Father's like, man, I'm telling you these things, but you're not doing what I'm asking of you to do. And yet we keep going back expecting to get more and more and more, and, and yet are we faithful with his word? And that's why we're given the armor, right, of God is to go and, and get his marching orders and go out and do it and be, be refreshed and restored by him so we can be fearless in the fight. So getting time away from him, to be refreshed by him, doing what he says. I think of Jesus. The best example of this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he goes into the most intense, I mean, talk about heavenly warfare, Jesus preparing for the cross that he was going to bear, on which he would bear the sins of the entire world. The brunt of the wrath of God. This is, this is what he was going to experience. And he was struggling. Jesus was struggling. Jesus wasn't Superman in the garden like, 
and like the arrows just bouncing off him. No, Jesus was in, in the garden. It says so distressed that, that literally like the capillaries were busting and he was like, like sweating blood. And, and Jesus in the garden was like, Father, if you can't take this cup from me, and, and, and his disciples who hadn't learned to pray yet, they'd fallen asleep, they couldn't support him, and Jesus was there. He'd lived a life learning how to pray, knowing how to pray, going to the Father. And in that moment, time alone with the Father, hearing from him, his final prayer was, not my will, but yours be done. Father, if this is your will that I take this cup, I will. Guys, you don't go from zero to here. You don't go from like, like opposing God to Jesus in Gethsemane. Are you, are you learning? Are you praying? And because even Paul, which is probably somewhat between where we are and where Jesus is, also needed us to pray. He makes this intensely personal at the very end. Paul has given us the armor, showed us how to use it. And then he goes, okay, now pray for me. Pray for me that I might be fearless because I am stuck in chains right now and I don't know if the next guard coming in is going to bring me out and put me to death. I don't know that. And so I need you to pray for me so I will continue being fearless. And so this is how we use the armor. This is how we be people is prayer is the only plan for being successful in the battle. The only plan for advancing in the battle is by prayer. And, and I know, guys, I'm not pretending this isn't what you've heard before. <laughs> I know we've probably all heard this a lot of times. I want you to hear this in the context of maybe some of us feel like we're running, like, like we've shed some of the armor and we're wondering, like, hey, I hear that this is what the armor's for, but I don't know how to use it and I don't feel like I'm wearing it. Learn how to pray and ask others to pray for you in the spirit. Maybe you don't know what you need to ask for yet. Pray in your weakness because the spirit will help you in your weakness. As this is the only way we advance. And, and I know, I know just as much as you do, like, like knowing it doesn't change the doing it. And so I just want to charge you all, fighters, to help one another, to challenge one another, to ask each other questions that might make us a little prickly, like, hey, are you praying? Are you, are you seeking God's faith? Are you, pray, are, you, are you praying in the spirit? <laughs> or do you know how to use the armor of God? Because like, for you and me, I don't, I don't want to like, next year just forget this. And all this armor that we've been given, not be using it. So finally, with the armor of God, praying for one another to be fearless, I want you to remember that the armor's been given to you to fight. And just as it says this is the gospel of peace, you are not fighting against flesh and blood, you are fighting for those who are flesh and blood to experience the peace of Jesus. They are not your enemy, whoever they are in your life. It is the spiritual warfare. And so, so what I charge you to do is to go out and pray fearlessly. Pray that God will teach you how to love those who appear to be enemies in your life and praying for them that they can be reconciled to God because that is why God has given you this armor. Okay? Do it. Let's pray. Father, I think some of us 
here, and I, I feel just don't feel courageous. Um, maybe because we feel pretty distracted. And when we, when we spend sustained time in your word, when we spend sustained time in the Bible, we're like, man, this is what I want. This feeds me. This feeds a part of me. This feeds my spirit. And yet maybe our patterns, our habits are so ingrained in pursuing our next meal or, or that next promotion or better, whatever it is. They give us a taste for life by your spirit. We crave that. I pray that fixed in our minds will be the, the example of Jesus. We will learn to pray. Father, holy, holy, holy is your name. Amen.